Please turn your Bibles to the book of 1 John, there at the end of the New Testament, near the book of Revelation. It's found on page 1210 for those who would like to use the Bible found in the pew rack. This the fourth Sunday of Advent. We do focus on joy, and we'll see in this text that salvation is about fullness of joy. Hopefully you'll understand what that means at the end of the sermon. But by way of just brief background for context, let me remind you that first century Jews believed that history was divided into two ages, this present age and the age to come. In this present age, the present age was marked by the rule of Satan, by sin, and by death. But when Messiah comes, pain and suffering would be eradicated, and Messiah would make the world right. And his rule and his care, not simply of the earth and creation, but of the people of God, would produce a kind of exuberance. When you read Isaiah, as we've been studying this Advent, Isaiah speaks of not only the people of God filled with joy, but the whole creation celebrating in joyful response to the coming of the king. Isaiah 35 says, Everlasting joy will crown the heads of my beloved. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. What a beautiful vision of the coming of Messiah, the eradication of sorrow and sighing, and the exuberance of joy. Now, that first century Jew did not believe that the coming of Messiah was simply the fulfillment of a promised land, a piece of earth in the Middle East, a tract of land, and not simply that they would have safety from their enemies. That first century Jew believed that when Messiah comes, he would make his home among them in Zion, and they would be filled with joy. Their hearts and their lives would be filled with joy. It's an amazing picture to think about. When Messiah comes, the right response to his presence is joy. Well, what's the opposite of that response? It's a life lived under your own rule and your own care, and it leads to a life of alienation. We'll see in the text today that the coming of Messiah is the coming of joy. And I want you to know that the Bible does not speak of joy simply as a feeling or a response to favorable circumstances. In fact, most of the time when the Bible speaks of people displaying joy, their circumstances are very difficult. And what characterizes them is something beyond the normal or the natural. There's something supernatural about their spirit. They're filled with joy, even when everything around them 
seems to be falling apart. They're anchored by joy, even when everything and every place they look seems to look bleak and dark. The Bible says that when the Messiah comes, our sadness will be turned to joy. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. First John chapter 1, I'll read this account of the incarnation, verses 1 through 4. And this is God's inspired, infallible word, our only rule of faith and practice. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness or testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that you and our joy might be made full or complete. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Pray with me now. Father, as we reflect on the joy come down from heaven, we ask you to be near to our hearts, uncover the fear, uncover the anger, replace fear and anger with joy. Make us live in this life at home with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Home for most of us is probably considered your most safe place. There you can let your defenses down. Home is that place where you can cease striving to put up a front. You can rest. You're totally accepted. You feel welcomed at home. Not only welcomed and, and, uh, welcome and accepted, you, you feel celebrated at home. When my children would come home from college after final exams, it seemed like they would sleep for days. And yes, they were sleep deprived and drained from the intense academic rigor and the schedules that they had kept or not kept. But it's very comforting to me to see them in their beds, resting asleep. I knew that they felt that they were home. It was safe at home. It was predictable. It was their bed. It even smelled like home. Home represents unending welcome. Home represents unconditional acceptance. Home represents unrivaled celebration. It's what we long for in home. It's a joy. It's the joy of home. Now, not all of us have that experience when we think back about our home life. And some of us still carry wounds and even the holiday time that is a celebration of home sometimes is very difficult for many of us because we don't feel at home 
even in our own home. Our homes are marked by alienation. There, we have to earn a place instead of being welcomed. We have to prove ourselves, and we feel misunderstood instead of feeling accepted. It's a place of competition. It's not a place of celebration. Sometimes the saddest places where we feel the most alone are the places where we should feel the most at home. Psychologist Martin Heidegger, who was a German philosopher, built his whole psychological practice on this one issue. He said, all human problems are traced back to one issue, and it's alienation. He said, all the sadness as well as all the hatred can be traced back to feeling a sense of alienation. Mother Teresa, who faced lots of physical difficulties in her work in India, said the biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, deserted, and being alone. I think Heidegger and Mother Teresa point to a human alienation that is true for all of us, but they only speak of the symptoms of the real problem. The real problem that we face is not simply human alienation. It's spiritual alienation. We were all made for home, and we've been searching to find our way back home. The Bible teaches us that we were created and made to live in the presence of God. Genesis tells us that it was a perfect home, and it was a place where God himself dwelt with Adam and Eve. The Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He was the ruler of that temple, as it were, between heaven and earth. And in that place, Adam and Eve felt safety. They felt peace. They felt welcomed. They felt accepted. They felt celebrated. We were created to live in a home. And yet, the Bible teaches us that man left God's home. Man decided he wanted to find a home apart from God. That's what the Bible calls sin. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But all of us and all of our endeavors are drawn by that one impulse to find our way back home. There we will know safety. There we will know peace. There we will be welcomed, accepted, and celebrated. There our hearts will find joy. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus came to reestablish that home right here on the earth. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. John describes the incarnation as heaven coming down to reestablish home for aliens, to reestablish safety 
for the vulnerable, to reestablish joy for those filled with sad, sadness and of hatred. You see, joy is to be the byproduct of our experience with God. But we all search for joy. You see in the passage in 1 John, two words or two phrases that reveal that we're all in a search for joy. First, it says, that which was from the beginning. Now, John's epistle and the book of John is giving a signal to us. It's pointing us back to the first creation. Those same words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But the Gospel of John and 1 John are saying, in the incarnation, a new creation is coming. Man has rejected God's plan and gone away from God's care and provision. And God has come down in the person of Jesus Christ. The divine has become human and he will dwell among us. We're told in Psalm 16 that in God's presence there's fullness of joy and here John says that we can experience fullness of joy that is experienced in fellowship with the Father we all search for that fullness of joy but then also he talks about the logos of life there he's speaking to the Greeks the Greeks and the Romans viewed the logos as some kind of a secret key it was a, you might say, a secret operating system that would lead man back to the eternal, to the heavenly, to the gods. And so both the Stoics and the Epicureans sought to discover the secret of the Logos. The Logos would open that portal between the brokenness of this earth and the joys of heaven. And the Stoics believed that if they could just eliminate their selfish human desires, somehow or another, that if they could contemplate enough and quiet their hearts enough, they could see the Logos. While the Epicureans knew that the Logos was a capricious blessing from the gods, and there was nothing that they could do to discover that secret passageway. That's why they said eat, drink, and be merry because only on the blessed, only on the beautiful, only on the bright, only are the strong are bestowed the logos. But John says here, Jesus himself is the logos of God. He's the word made flesh. He's the secret to all meaning in life. So how did we wander away? The Garden of Eden tells us that the serpent came and tempted us. And his proposition was simply this. Instead of living under the rule of God and living in the care of God, he said, put yourself in the place of God. He said, reject God's promise. Find the tree of life on your own. That's what the Bible calls sin. I think the word sin is difficult for modern people to understand. But it's rooted in this idea that I will find my own way. It's rooted in the idea that I reject God's plan. The problem with 
that attitude, not only does it cut us off from God's joy, it makes every person in the world our enemy. All our problems now are either justified by blaming other people or rationalized by explaining ourselves away. We have no way to make sense of our sadness or our hatred. The Bible says that that problem is sin and it leads to alienation. You recall that when God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, an angel was placed there with a sword. That sword represents God's judgment. There's no way back to, to God and to heaven. There's no way back to joy on our own. Yet, God sent Jesus in the incarnation. And not only did Jesus bring heaven down, you recall that the angels announced good news, great joy shall be for all people. The angels announced joy is breaking in. Where does that joy come from? It comes from heaven. Have you ever wondered why the angels are always singing about joy? Angels were created beings. They're ministers and messengers and warriors of God, but they are sent to reflect the very heart of God. The heart of God, triune, is a heart full of joy. And God's joy overflowed in the creation, and God's joy overflows in redemption to bring us back to God. We may feel unwelcome this morning. We may feel misunderstood and as if no one accepts us. We may feel that because of all of our failures, no one could celebrate us and we can only hate ourselves. But that's not the message of Advent. That's not the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We no longer have to search for joy. Joy has found us. We're to be surprised by that joy. If you're a Christian, if you belong to Christ, your experience with God should be a series of joyful, exuberant surprises. Growing as a Christian, in some ways, is experiencing the joy of the Lord all over again. It's never recovering from the reality that when you were searching for joy apart from God, he came and found you. He came into your brokenness. He sent the Holy Spirit. He spoke to your heart. He changed your will. He enlightened your mind. He found you. And you're so full of thankfulness, you're surprised by joy. You can't seem to let it go. This weekend, we were in the northwest Georgia mountains visiting our grandchildren, Chris and Olivia, have two girls that live there with them and a new baby boy is to be born in a few weeks so they couldn't travel down. And so we came to visit, but their parents didn't tell them we were coming. And so we met them at a park and we sat in our car and they stepped out of that car and they were surprised by joy. They were so surprised that they came running to us with joyful faces and they said, we didn't know you were coming. We didn't know you were coming. All during the 
Next two days, Lucy Claire said to me, I didn't know you were coming. I just didn't know you were coming. She couldn't get over it. That's the way salvation is. Salvation is something you can't get over. You're surprised by joy. Now, two words here that tell us that the joy that surprises us is grace is the word manifest and the word proclaimed. The word manifest means revealed. It means uncovered. It means explained in the mystery. Colossians 1 says, the mystery has been revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can't work long enough, you can't study, you can't bend your will to discover this kind of joy. It has to find you. It's made manifest. The divinity has brought down joy, embodied in perfect humanity, and offered to each of us in eternal life. But it also says proclaimed. Now John chooses a word that a king's herald would understand. Those heralds are, were sent out to the countryside when a king won a victory. And they were to declare the king announces his victory. They were, were to proclaim the battle is over. The victory is secure. The deliverance has commenced. The rescue operation has begun. The restoration will now begin. There's a new king who's ruling, and he will rule over you with care. It's manifest. It's proclaimed. It's speaking of the grace of God. We never recover from the grace of God. Now, you could read John 1 John 1, 1 through 4, and you could read it theologically. You could read it historically, and that would be accurate. You could read it objectively. There is a real historic Jesus who came into the world, and he came to fulfill prophecy that was given thousands of years before, hundreds of years, and he lived a perfect life. And John says... You can understand it theologically, and you can understand it historically, and you can understand it objectively, but you must understand it personally. Look back at the language that he describes here. He says, the life was manifested. Well, let's back up. What was from the beginning? What we've seen with our eyes? What we've heard and held in our hands handle concerning the word of life? And the life was manifested, and we've seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was manifested from the Father and now given to us. What we've seen and heard we proclaim to you also that we may also have fellowship with the Father. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now these things we write, that your joy may be made full. Surprise should fall on our hearts in such a way that we never recover. It's really the experience of a Christian growing in his faith. It's learning to live under the rule of God and trusting in the care of God, no matter what our circumstances. Growth as a Christian, I'll say again, is a growth in experiencing God's joy. Living under the rule of God and trusting in the care of God that we might 
be filled with joy. I've shared with you before that C.S. Lewis described his autobiography and his conversion as surprised by joy. If you've read his autobiography, he talks about that salvation for him was a surprise. He had friends. He was a professor at Oxford University, and he was an atheist, but he had friends that challenged his ideas. In order to have friends that would not only challenge ideas, but remain faithful and present, give him books to read. He read one book by William MacDonald that characterized hell as simply this, I am my own. And the more that he read that chapter, the more he realized that he was living in a hell of his own because he was alienated. He was alienated from hope. He was alienated from some sense of meaning in life. He was alienated from God. They continued to talk with him, share the Bible, and God began to work on his heart. He has a chapter called Checkmate. This is his conversion. And he describes how he knew that Christianity was true. He had tried every move and God had placed him in checkmate. He says this, I gave in. I admitted that God was God, that Jesus Christ was the only Savior. I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night I was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. I was a prodigal who had come kicking and struggling and resentful. And I had come to the throne and I simply said, You are Lord. You deserve my submission. We all must come to Christ that same way, where we fall at his feet and we acknowledge his submission. But Lewis says what happened next, he wasn't prepared for. When he got off his knees, he was overwhelmed and, as he said, surprised by joy. Surprised by joy that God would make a home with him, that God would feel his sadness and his hatred and replace it with joy. What did he know about that conversion? Well, he knew that though an angel held a sword of justice that kept man back from the Garden of Eden, Jesus came, grew up, lived a perfect life, and he took that sword. He took God's justice into himself on the cross, and he said, not my will, but you, your will be done. He said, we're told in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, though despising its shame. What was the joy set before Jesus on the cross? The joy set before Jesus was to save you and to save me and to bring us home into the family and to eradicate our alienation, to welcome us, to accept us, even to celebrate us. That kind of joy, that kind of joy will change everything you know about you. So how are we strengthened in joy? Well, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that this life is a life of alienation apart from true joy. You may find happiness. You may even find a sense of accomplishment. 
but meaning and purpose will only be yours when you discover that you were made to live in fellowship with God under his rule and by his care. That's what salvation means. And for those who are believers, how do we grow or how we strengthen in that joy? Well, simply put, we need to learn how to gaze at our Savior and glance at our problems. All too often we have that in reverse. We gaze at our problems and then we glance at the Savior for a few minutes here or a second there. The word gaze means to look steady and intently for the purpose of wonder and admiration. The word glance means to take a brief and hurried look. I'll ask you, follower of Jesus Christ, are you gazing at this so great a salvation? Or are you just glancing at it? Every now and then, just taking a second to be reminded that you belong to him. Advent, historically for the church as well as Lent, was to be a pilgrimage journey, much like the journeys that you read in the Old Testament, where man would reacclimate himself to God-centered living. Advent is to be a reacclimation, where we gaze at the fullness of our salvation and we glance at our problems. All of our problems won't disappear until that second Advent, until Jesus comes to bring the end of sadness and hatred. And we're told that he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Until that time, we can live in full joy. This text reminds us that we've been given fellowship with the Father. We have alienation eradicated. We've been welcomed, accepted, and celebrated as those who have been brought home. I started meditating on all the verses that I knew in the New Testament that spoke about joy. Let me just close by reminding you some of these things. Jesus told the disciples that we're to be people of joy because our names are written in the book of life, Luke 10, 20. Do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are to rejoice or be full of joy because God has made us thankful. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. We're told that there's a joy in repentance. Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Joy because our names are written in heaven. Joy because of thankfulness. Joy because of repentance. Luke 15 says that we're to be joyful that we have the privilege to share the gospel. There's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents the 99 who need no repentance. Acts chapter 5, the apostles were filled with joy because they suffered for his name's sake. James 1 speaks of the joy of endurance. Have you ever thought endurance is a joy? 
It says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's a joy to pass the faith to the next generation. 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. 1 John 3, 1 says, there's a joy and longing for the return of Christ, for when we see him, we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who fixes his hope on his return purifies himself. We're called to the joy of finishing well. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. He says that I am going home. The joy of going home. He says there's a crown that's laid up for me. And that crown awaits all those who long for my appearing. We're going to close after my prayer with that song, Joy to the World. But I would just ask you this morning, are you gazing on your Savior? Or are you just glancing at the salvation that Jesus brings? In that third verse, it's one that probably is the most meaningful to me of all the verses. It says, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known, for as the curse is found, for as the cursed is found. If you're a believer in Christ, let me remind you this morning, you are welcomed into your eternal home. You are accepted, and you are celebrated. Let's pray together. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know the joy of their salvation, pray that today would be a day where you'd touch their heart, bring them home to salvation in Jesus Christ. And for those of us that have been wandering and not renewing our hope in your eternal home. Remind us to gaze on the fullness of what is ours in Jesus. And fill our hearts with eternal joy. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.